When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Today marks what is the start of one of the biggest weeks in the modern history of Manchester City. Usually at this time of year, we'd be reflecting on what's been happening on the pitch with the season sewn up and trophies raised. But instead, the focus is off the field as City embark on a three-day case at the Court of Arbitration for Sport, contesting their two-year Champions League ban dished out by UEFA. We'll chat about the fans' perspective as some supporters even dished out over seven grand between them to buy an anti-UEFA banner. City will also contest the first game in the Premier League for three months as the season resumes with their clash against Arsenal. And although it will be played behind closed doors, fake fan noise will be pumped through the stadium speakers. Is it a good idea or is it complete and utter stupidity? Plus, plenty of transfer news to gossip about with Chelsea looking the most likely destination for man-in-demand Timo Werner. Just how good could Frank Lampard's Blues look next season? Hello, I'm Niall and welcome to Football Social Daily, the podcast packed with news and opinion from the English Premier League. Alongside me for these Monday matters, we have Marley Anderson. Hello, Marley. Hello. And Adam Keyworth too. Hello to you, Adam. Hello, mate. You all right? Very well, thanks. And before we begin, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, by the way. Every time we release a new episode, you'll be notified straight away, so you'll never miss one. And once the 17th of June rolls around, which is just over a week away now, we'll be back to our daily schedule. So if you don't want to miss a beat when it comes to Premier League affairs, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Right, time to crack on with Football Social Daily for today. And we begin at Manchester City. Well, actually, we begin at the Court of Arbitration for Sport, because that's where City will be contesting UEFA's decision to ban them from the Champions League for two seasons. Now, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, or CAS for short, is sport's highest court. It's a big moment in the modern game, this, in my opinion, and I don't think that's overstating it. Now, I'm not a City fan, but I know you are, Adam. And in the intro there, I said it's one of the biggest weeks in City's recent history. Was that a bit much for me to say that? Have I gone a bit over the top there, or are you no, in the same camp? I think, like like you said even further before that in the intro, that at the moment we should be... Um, we should kind of be looking at what's just happened during the season. And this would have been, I think, a bit of a bigger deal had the season ended already. But because the season's ongoing, it kind of feels like 
All right, it's just been thrown in the week before the Premier League comes back. It's a it's a really really big deal um, for City. Whether we as fans know much about it, I, th- I think there's a lot of people pretending to know a lot more than they do. Um, and it's as you say, it's a big deal for football on the whole because whatever comes of this decision will not just affect City; it'll affect every other club that could possibly end up in this position, and it'll affect how other clubs can spend going forward. So it's a massive deal. Um, I just wonder, this this whole three-day thing as well, it's worth stating that three-day trial at the Court of Arbitration for Sport is a long, long time. And it's really rare that anything goes longer than one day. And even after the three days, we're not expected to see a decision for weeks, maybe months, which would then throw up a whole another question of, well, if City are found... Well, if, if there's no verdict and it goes into next season, do City have a Champions League place? That's another question. So, big deal, big week. Um, I wish somebody could record the Zoom call that's going to be going on, but uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. And I'm sure there'll be some people who are covering it quite well on social, so one to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. And it's said that being banned for two seasons from the Champions League, City will miss out on 200 million quid now. 200 million quid is a lot of money to lose out on Mali, even when you're as rich as Manchester City are. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to be in a position to lose 200 million quid because it would mean I had it in the first place, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, it's obviously, it, it sort of uh, jolts Man City in a way, doesn't it? I mean, obviously, it's they're not as bothered about them losing the money as they are about the, the European European place, I would, I would think. Um, obviously, their end goal... And their main objective of this new regime is to win the Champions League and prove yourself as the best team in Europe. And if they can't do this after this trial, then uh, it's a massive uh, setback for them because it, it stops them in their tracks, kind of thing. With all the uh, all the momentum they've built up over the last few years, you know, walking the Premier League a couple of times, hundred points, back to back league titles, and all that. It's uh, it's the one thing that they they're missing in their trophy cabinet so far, and I don't think there's too many teams better than Man City around Europe despite them never uh, never having won it so this this whole case is is massive for the uh, the immediate future of, of Man City because two years is hell of a long time out of the Champions League in terms of if you look at the players that would then move on mm. maybe because they haven't got anything left to win at Man City if you take the Champions League away they've won everything else they've done it all and it's hard to keep going and doing it the same thing again when you haven't you haven't got that carrot in front of you being dangled that you've, you know, a trophy that you haven't won, for example. Um, so maybe, you know, it, as you said, I, I just, it's a massive week in, in Man City's um, modern history and uh, one that is definitely interesting for the football fans, the the more neutral ones, because I don't think it's, uh, I don't think FFP's ever been waterproof. And this is this is Man City's fight to try and prove that and, and get themselves off the hook because they clearly think they haven't done anything wrong. I'll ask you in a second what you think, Keezy, but Marley, as you mentioned there, me and you are both neutral in this situation. Can you see Manchester City coming away with the result that they're after? Uh I can. Um I don't think I don't think they will. I think it, you know it's it's it, it's a two year ban at the minute and I think it'll get reduced to one. Um but for example, if that happened, I think it'll be it'll be kind of rubbish because if you reduce it to one, you've clearly proved that Man City have some some sort of case. For example, if you if you reduce the case 
that reduce the sentence, you've said, oh, you know, you've got a point, but we're still going to ban you. And it, at that point, you, you're entitled to say as a Man City fan, well, if we've got a point, why are you banning us at all? And they'll probably ban them just because it, mm. you know, because they've they've um, exploited a few loopholes. And if if you exploit a loophole, it's a loophole. You shouldn't. The loophole shouldn't be there to exploit in the first place. So if Man City have done that, and I'm I'm very very confident they've 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 found some sort of legality and in, in, in little in a little gap in the uh, in the rules that they've that they've uh, acted on it, and that's. Uh, that's what I think it's going to come down to. I think UEFA will probably still try and keep a ban, but mm. UEFA's reputation, which is already pretty much as low as you can go, will go even lower, um, and teams will start to lose faith in uh, in their leadership. And I don't know what that'll 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 sort of come to in the future, but we'll uh, I suppose we'll see. But I can't see them getting a two year ban. I can see them getting a yeah. one year ban. I like that point you make, Marley, as well, because I think as you mentioned there, it's not actually a binary choice. And I think the way that some of this case is being reported is that it's a binary choice. You're either on the side of UEFA or on the side of Manchester City, but it's definitely possible that both sides have been culpable of misdemeanours in in some way, Keezy. I mean, I think it's fair to suggest that UEFA feel that they've got a point against Manchester City. And as we know, Manchester City have quite strongly come out and said that they feel they have a case against UEFA. So I think there is a possibility that we could see, like Marley mentions, a, a reduced ban or or you know maybe a, a change in the uh, in the outcome rather than a solid UEFA win, Manchester City win. Yeah, it's it's very much that as well that both sides obviously think they've got a point. UEFA having their point as to why the original ban and fine came about, but City seem extremely confident in in the response. You saw uh, Caldoun, the chairman, come out straight away, straight after the. Uh, the ban came in saying, look, we know, mm. we knew this was coming, but we, we know how we're going to fight it. City have got some of the biggest uh, and best lawyers on this case. So they obviously think they've got a point, but UEFA wouldn't have handed out the ban if they didn't. I think what Marley says is is kind of what um, City's response will probably be, that there's been some gap in the FFP rulings that there's probably no law against what City did, but it's goes against other things so it's going to be a tight one I think the the key thing is if City do get off on this it will be through merit it won't because they've just had good lawyers it'll be because oh hang on they actually didn't do anything wrong and if they didn't and UEFA have handed out a multi-million pound fine and a two-year ban and they found to be wrong as Marley said UEFA's mm. whole reputation goes it's gone mm. because so, so what's the ideal result then Adam what, what would be the absolute yeah. ideal situation for Manchester City just overturn it but I think it's more likely that it will be either a bigger fine or a one-year ban a one-year ban I think we could live with especially especially almost like in the the strangest way with the way that football is and there's no fans at the moment and everything's kind of up in the air that one-year ban couldn't really have come at a better time if that's what it's to be but um in terms of keeping hold of players and stuff as well, two years to one year does make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. even as De Bruyne had said in an interview where he was misquoted, but he, he was basically saying that one year you can deal with because you can work on other things, but two years is quite difficult, especially for the players who aren't getting any younger. Uh, De Bruyne turning 30 next, and he can't really miss two years of the Champions League. So two years would be a, 
a real blow, uh, even in trying to bring new players in. If you've not got the Champions League for two years, we've seen how tough it's been for other clubs when they've been out of the Champions League. And then the other side of this is there's a lot of neutrals to this, uh, and obviously City fans want uh, the club to get off. But I, I might I add, from my opinion, I only want City to get off on this if the right to do so. If City are found guilty, then throw the book at us because that's what we we would deserve. But um, there's also clubs like Sheffield United, Man United, who are really looking at this thinking, if City do get the ban, we've we've got a real fight on our hands in the next few weeks to get into the Champions League. So there's going to be big winners and losers, whatever the, the outcome here. Mm. Uh, but I mean, it is... This... This debate between UEFA and Manchester City fans, it's not something that's just come out of the fact that City have banned for two years from the Champions League. This has been something that's been bubbling away in the background for a number of years now. And the argument that kind of really comes to the forefront when you're talking about this kind of debate between the two sides, City and UEFA, is this whole idea of UEFA protecting the elite clubs of Europe. And I'm talking about the likes of Manchester United and Liverpool in this country, the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona in Spain, Bayern Munich and Dortmund in Germany, for example. I'm talking the big power-punching clubs in each of the European leagues. Manchester City have obviously in the last 10 years come into immense wealth. They've built up this empire. There's the CFG, the City Football Group, and there's lots of different clubs associated with the group that are dotted around uh, Europe and the rest of the world. And I think that Manchester City fans feel that UEFA are kind of anti their rise up through the English uh, pyramid to the top and being one of the best teams in Europe. And I think that that is where part of this argument comes from. Does it feel like it's not just Man City versus UEFA, but from a fan's perspective, does it feel like it's us against them? And by them, I mean Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona, AC Milan, Juventus. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I think there's two sides to this. So City have, uh, have had run-ins with UEFA throughout the last 10 years. Uh, away from just anything financial and anything, you add some of the the fines that City have had for very very silly things like teams not coming out on time for the second half, and then players and fans being racially abused, and the other teams getting lesser fines than City had for for bringing out a team late. You had fans travelling to Moscow only to be told, "Hang on, we're going to put it behind closed doors because the." The Russian fans were being racist, so the City fans can't even come in. There was all those little things. And I, th- I think there's a wider argument that about the established elite at UEFA. I'm not one of the, the tinfoil hat wearers when it comes to this, but the if you look at the UEFA top board and the people who looked after this decision as well, you've got David Gill, who we all know where his allegiances have lied forever at United. You've got Andrea Agnelli, who's chairman at Juventus. You've got... Uh, Al Khalifi, or I probably butchered his name, the PSG chairman, mm. uh, Greg Clarkson. So you've got these people who have protections at other clubs. And I think that's just kind of an old hat way of thinking anyway. With it. It's a very traditional competition, really, the Champions League, and you don't really get teams coming in mm. from nowhere. Um, but I, I don't quite believe that UEFA are fully anti-City. In this case, City have clearly... Uh, until proven guilt, un- until proven innocent, it seems to be done something wrong, and if they have, they deserve the punishment. It just seems that C- City, uh, as a club, seem it's just it. It seems weird that they're so confident. Yeah, 
that I mean, they, they are, I mean when, you, wrong. when you say they're so confident, they are confident to the point where you, within almost 48 hours of the of the fine, you've got a professional shot video of the chairman, Khaldun Mubarak, sat in a chair saying, we will take this to the highest court in sport. And they have done. And they've managed to get a three-day hearing, which, as you said, is somewhat unprecedented for Cass. So there are certainly some interesting points to make about this story in terms of where you look at the landmarks in the case and you think, well, that's very interesting. But what we have seen is obviously the Manchester City fans coming together in a way to, to support their club. We know that every City fan wants the club to win their case against UEFA. However, some have taken their anti-UEFA ideals to the the extreme. I mentioned it in the intro to the podcast, Marley. Some City fans have collaborated together, a certain fan group, and have spent like seven to eight grand on a banner. And I don't know if you've seen this, but it's all over Twitter. So if you search Manchester City banner on Twitter, if you're not sure what we're on about, I'm sure you'll be able to see it. But it just looks a little bit cringy, Marley. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I fully, fully agree. I think uh, I think when did it when did it come out? I think it was Friday or Saturday. Uh, might have been yesterday. I don't know. I don't know what day it is anymore. But when uh, <laughs> when I seen it on Twitter, I was just like, "What the hell is that?" And then I, you know everyone was tweeting it like, um, "Man City fans have spent eight grand on this," and I was like, eight grand? Was that 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 um that uh, video on of uh, Phoenix Nights where Paddy McGuinness just goes eight grand over and over again because <laughs> I mean it's one of them where if you had no money you would create a better banner but when they've got all this money they're like oh we've got to get everything on it we've got to we've got to make it look really smart and they've just got carried away with their own creation do you remember when you used to um used to create uh, on the Nike website when in IT lessons when you were a kid. Used to create them um, personalized, <laughs> yeah, personalized boots, boots or, <laughs> or trainers, and they would come out, and you would you would say like add to basket, and it would be like they'd be three hundred and ten pound or something. That's that's basically what they've done with this banner. Like they've just put everything on it, and it looks like just it looks rubbish. Um, and also, where where are they going to display this? Like it's going to be a long time before they can get that into a stadium, isn't it? Because of the whole situation. Where are they going to hang it? Well, as well, the, the first place we saw it was in Heaton Park in Manchester. Now, this podcast, we should point out, is recorded in Manchester. We all live in the city and um, Heaton Park is the biggest screen space in the city, but it's about five miles north of the city centre. And the likelihood of anyone really seeing it, apart from the air, of course, there's no helicopters, no planes at the moment because of coronavirus. Very, very slim. Um, and then it was ferried down to the Etihad Stadium and placed in the car park. Now, the Etihad Stadium car park is currently being used for coronavirus testing. So the only people that would have seen it would have been those people that are getting tested for COVID-19. So in terms of timing, obviously, they couldn't have done it any other time because the course is this weekend, uh, the court case is this weekend. But at the end of the day, it just feels very clumsily thought out, Keezy, and I know I think you're probably in our camp in terms of being a City fan who who isn't too fond of the banner. Yeah, I mean, my vocal comments about this on Twitter didn't go down well anyway, but never mind, I'll stick by it. Um, this this banner's been in in the works, I believe, for about two, three, no, about four months now. <laughs> I, be- I believe that um, the original donations were towards a banner for the second leg against Madrid at home. I don't think anybody knew what was going to be on the banners. Um, but people donate anyway. It's a, it's a fan group who do all these these displays at City. Some good, some not as good. Um, and that's that's how they, they get the money. Fans donate, they do these displays, great. 
as as you wish fine but this one it just seems a little bit out of time um i think the the other strange thing is in in this current economy and the state of things it just seems the optics are bad that you're spending that much money on a banner which is just calling ua for muppets um the other thing is uh, i don't know it's they've put a statement out this this fan group put a statement out saying oh here's why we did it here's what we were going to do there is no way in there's no way on earth that city would have allowed that banner into the ground against madrid absolutely no chance they put in the statement that yeah yeah they were speaking to city all the way through there is no chance city were allowing that banner in because it's just going to cause more friction between city and uefa and as as much as city are fighting this they're not going to fight it that way that just won't happen so it wouldn't have got in the ground, so what's the point? And then they've got to go and do it in Heaton Park with some flares, socially distanced, which I'll give them credit for, <laughs> with some flares, like it's someone out of Green Street. <laughs> or the magpies getting a good look from the it trees, or the good. robins it, and sparrows getting a good view of the banner. It just doesn't look good. The other ones that they made were better, the little ones, the little ones that are just like uh, power lies, corruption. Those ones look quite good because they, they look like ones you just hang off the stand and whatever. This is just... It's mad. It's lunacy mm. at this point. Mm. And it's not going to make any difference. UEFA's lawyers aren't looking at it going, oh, Jesus, there's four oh, fans yeah. with flares and a big yeah. banner. Well, I, sod it. I don't think it's going to scare them off, is it? And Let, I think let's ignore that. And the other thing is, City and the lawyers, they've got the best lawyers in the world. That they'll, mm. spend, they'll spend a trillion pounds on lawyers to try and get this out of the way. They don't need some fans with a banner helping them. And I know that it was done in good, <laughs> in good faith by the fans involved thinking... Yeah, we're showing we're showing that we we hate UEFA. It's it's not going to do it. What are you going to do with that banner now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, bin it hopefully. <laughs> but, but then, what you may as well have just got the however many thousand pound it was and set fire to it in Heaton Park. Yeah, true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> it, remi- it reminds me of like you know when you're a kid and like your dad's like replacing a, fan- a fence panel in the in the garden and he's holding the massive fence thing and you're following him with like the hammer. Like, you've got this tiny little part of this operation, and you're like, I'm helping. And then it's the fans, um, the fans are there with this banner going, yeah, we're helping the cause, and they're just not, because it's such an insignificant thing. It's a complete waste of money. I'd be fuming if I'd put 200 quid towards that thing, and then they'd come back with that, and I'd be like, you, Kizzy, I'd be like, hang on, that's never even going to get into the into the ground, so what's the point? The, the, one, the one thing I will say, the one credit bit of credit I'll give them is it's made a splash it was on the back pages it was on the news it's all over Twitter people have seen it I don't know if you can at this point say all publicity is good publicity because it's not for me the other thing that really does my head in nearly did some swearing then is on the thing it says stop Man City stop Man City we're called Manchester City why, why are you putting on our own banners? Stop Man City, stop Man City. <laughs> well, I oh, think the banner has definitely changes. caused a ripple, as you say. Whether it makes a difference in the court case, we're not so sure. It would be unbelievable if Seferin, the head of UEFA, went... Uh, yep, uh, He's quaking in his boots, Keezy. He's quaking in his boots. Though, if he actually references it. If he references it in the case, I take back everything I've said about this. <laughs> Worth every <laughs> single brilliant. penny. Yeah. Um, that's enough for the court of arbitration for sport case between Manchester City and UEFA. Of course, this will take place over the next three days and we will keep you up to date 
of the goings-on at that court case here on Football Social Daily. And there will be a result expected before the Champions League resumes again, and that's expected to be in August. So we will know in the next couple of months what the outcome is. Right then, speaking of Manchester City, they'll take on Arsenal on Wednesday, June the 17th, the first Premier League game back since the suspension of the season due to coronavirus in March. Games will be played behind closed doors for the foreseeable future. We know that. We've seen it in the Bundesliga. It's weird, echoey, eerie to an extent, and a lot of people have complained about it. So the idea of artificial fan noise has been brought forward. This has been tested, and some people say it's miles better personally. I don't see the point. I think we're changing the narrative of the action. Why are we pumping fake noise in? I do not see the point, to be honest. I don't know what you boys think, but for me, the narrative is games are behind closed doors because of the situation we're in. Why are we trying to alter that and adapt that? And I know we're talking about football being a spectator sport nowadays. It's going to have to be at least on the television for the for the foreseeable future due to the situation that we're in across the world. But I just I just don't get the point of this. I mean, is it is it really going to impact the game in a, in a positive manner? I mean, what what's the benefit of it? <laughs> I'm I'm I have a massive confession to make and it pains me. Um I'm a convert. Uh I watched uh Bayern Munich against Leverkusen at Leverkusen on on Saturday, which was the best game of football we've seen since the restart in terms of quality. And what they're doing is as far as I'm aware, well this is definitely in Germany. They're not pumping it into the stadium. It's just coming through on the TV pictures, um, which allows then the control room and whoever's mixing it to change the noise depending on who scores. And it felt natural. It was really well done. Um, it just kind of added something that I hated watching it when there was you could hear the managers talking and you you can kind of hear the tackles and... You can hear the odd birds chirping. I love that. I love that. Uh, I mean, but that, but that's the situation but it makes we're it in. Feel, it makes it feel like a training game. And but that's I don't, what I hated I, watching. But I don't see the the problem with that. I don't know what you think, Marley. Well, because you, you can for, turn it off. I know you can. But for me, this is we are in this situation. How stupid would it be to look back at the games? You know, everyone talks about, oh, this season's going to be weird on Premier League years when we do a season review in five years' time. But I think if you're looking back in five years' time, you're thinking, why have they put noise on the games? I mean. The whole point is, is it's part of the history of the season that we're in, that the games were played behind closed doors. And I think that we're almost trying to alter the course of the season. Maybe I'm looking into this too forensically. I probably am, to be honest. I don't know what you think, Marley. I mean, are you, are you for or against this artificial fan noise? Um, at first, I didn't. I was more with you, Niall. I didn't really see the point um, of of the the whole fake noise thing, but I. I'm converted. I like. I think I quite like it. Um, I just think, with you know, a lot of clubs have been putting out these um, like highlights of um, of training games that they've had. You know, like Liverpool had one at Anfield uh, last week. Newcastle had one on the weekend, um, and it there wasn't much difference between that and the games that I've actually watched, you know, the games in the Bundesliga where you can hear every slap of the ball and every, you know, shout and stuff. And I'm not really a fan of, of hearing everything that's going on in, uh, on the pitch. Um, sometimes it's okay, but for a full 90 minutes, it's like, oh, I, I wish there was some crowd noise. I, I, I do quite enjoy that. And I think, I think it'll, it'll more be a good thing because I think people will forget that the crowd noise is 
is weird because it'll sound it'll sound sort of natural. I think it'll be it'll be okay. I, th- I don't think it's as bad as people are uh, making out. Like it won't sound completely fake. And obviously, when you think about it, it's clearly fake because there's no one there to make the noise. But um, I don't know. We'll, we, I mean, the proof's going to be in the pudding when it when we actually hear this. But football isn't really I don't think it's really a sport where you can learn too much from, from what goes on on the pitch it's it's nice to hear voices and shouting every now and again but I don't think it's it's brilliant I mean I've been watching um, a fair bit of uh, UFC in the in the time that uh, the, the coronavirus is held and one of them one of the advantages to that is with with no crowd is you can hear everything um, and you get commentators having to be quiet because they're trying to talk to the um the listener the viewer um and coach them like explain what's happening and they're speaking in an empty arena so the fighters are hearing them and the fighters are actually being coached by the commentators so it's it's really strange it brings a new dimension to to that sport but i don't know if it's going to be the same in terms of what you're learning as a as a um as a viewer to this uh, to football, so I don't know. I, th- I think um, I think the other way of looking at this as well is the Bundesliga. It works; it's a natural fit because in Germany and on the continent, in some countries, fans have and maintain an atmosphere throughout the game, regardless of what goes on on the pitch. So in Germany, you'll have fans singing and just making noise throughout the whole game, and then if the team scores, obviously they celebrate. Whereas in England, it it's very different in that we as fans watch and wait for something on the pitch to happen for the fans to react. So in in England, and in certainly in most grounds, it's, it's quite a steady kind of lower volume until something happens, until there's an attack or a tackle or uh, there's a shot on goal or, or something happens where the crowd get up. And I don't think you can replicate that through piping noise in because mm. there isn't that that almost droning sound that the German fans seem to make throughout. Yeah. So I I don't think it's as natural a fit and I'll be interested to see how how they can make that a thing. I think it's only for the benefit benefit of the TV viewers and it's not like they're, you know, the TV viewers at the moment, I think what are we now a third of the 90 odd games left in the Premier League will be free to air or at least view, viewed for free. So I mean, you know, the whole point of it is to increase the the entertainment value for for paying subscribers but a lot of these subscribers aren't paying at the moment so i don't i don't see the necessity the necessity of it personally um but it's not it's not the end of the world it's not the worst thing that could be happening and and as we say if football's being used as this tool to try and get people's spirits up then uh if you're going to go for it you may as well go for it uh full hog as they say um so that looks like that might be the case in the premier league also a quick uh, bit of news in the latest round of premier league testing no staff or players from any of the 20 Premier League clubs tested positive for coronavirus. So that is positive news. Heading into the season's restart on the 17th of June, that first game will be Manchester City against Arsenal. Right, time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily. But afterwards, we'll be keeping you up to speed on all the latest transfer gossip in the English top flight, including the latest around Timo Werner and a possible move to Chelsea. Don't go away. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. 
Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social. I'm Niall. I've got Adam and Marley alongside me on the podcast today. And now it's time to talk top flight transfer news. And we'll start with the big story which broke over the weekend. On Friday, Timo Werner was said to be going to Chelsea. Now, Timo Werner, the RB Leipzig striker, has very much been a man in demand. 32 goals for club and country in 44 appearances this season. He is a prolific marksman and certainly with a £49 million release clause, a bit of a bargain. But with the coronavirus pandemic having a big impact on football finances, it's seemingly unlikely that his preferred club of Liverpool are going to come in for him and pay the money. So now it looks like he's off to Chelsea. Now this could be a big blow to Liverpool because over the last few transfer windows, at least Since they bought Virgil van Dijk, they haven't spent a huge amount of money. They only spent money on Minamino, which was a handful of million pounds compared to what we've seen in terms of transfer fees over recent times. uh, And they brought him in. Um, And Liverpool, of course, they're going to want to dominate for seasons and seasons to come. Now, Timo Werner was almost a shoo-in to go to Liverpool. And now it looks like he's going to Chelsea. Um, I was pretty shocked about this uh, on Friday when the news broke, Marley, because me, like everyone else, thought that Timo Werner to Liverpool was a shoo-in. But more money at Chelsea. Chelsea willing to pay the release clause of nearly £50 million. Liverpool not so much. So now it looks like he's on his way to London. Yeah, I was um, I was similar. I was a bit shocked when it came out. But then when you think about it, what you shouldn't be shocked because his, his um, release clause is available for any club in the world to trigger. It's not limited to teams managed by Jurgen Klopp who play in red on near the coast of uh, the west coast of, of England. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's if you look around the... the um, the Premier League, who needs strikers? Chelsea, Chelsea are open. They want a striker. Um, Arsenal could do with a striker. I was kind of surprised they weren't in for him if they if they do plan on letting Aubameyang go. But I don't think they're they've reached a decision either way on him, to be honest. So uh, you look at Chelsea, City, City are okay for for strikers. Although even if they wanted to plan for life behind, uh, after Aguero, they could have been in for him. But Chelsea have took the plunge and. You know, 50, 55, 45 million, whatever it is, doesn't seem that lot, doesn't seem that much money. When players are going for, like elite players are going for 80, 90 million now, he's got the the um, the level yeah. of ability now where he could be an elite player pretty soon. Um, I think he's only, mm. what is he, like 20, 22, 23, something like that. He scored a hell of a load of goals in Germany. Um, he looks a he looks a proper player. So forty five, fifty million. Considering bloody Joe Linton was forty million, you know what I mean. I was about to say that you know West Ham spending forty five million on yeah. Seb Haller, Joe Linton spending forty five million on on uh, yeah. from Newcastle, and and you know you can get Werner for four million more. Exactly, it's it's one of them where sooner or later, when Liverpool were dragging their heels a bit, everyone else was like, hang on, we've got that kind of money. So and Chelsea clearly. Went hold on a minute. If if you're not gonna snap him up, then we will because we want a striker to to lead the line. If if they feel like Abraham's not quite uh, ready or playing too many games or whatever, so Werner's got that flexibility as well. He can play left side of a front three, and and this is where where Liverpool might might struggle going forward as well. I mean, like Liverpool have got their squad now, and their front three is amazing. So it's it's hard to get players who are going to come into Liverpool and not be first choice. If you think of the options they've got up front, they've got the the three of Salah, Mane and Firmino. 
then they've got Origi, they've got Minamino, mm. they've got Shakiri, mm. all to fit into these these positions. They've got young lads like Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones coming through. Um, so there's a lot of competition there. And when somebody becomes available, nine times out of ten in the past, Liverpool would be interested in them. But now they're so good and they're so they've got to the top of the the standings and they they're uh, they've won everything basically. Once once this this uh, the Premier League gets wrapped up. They've mm. got what they need, so it's hard for them to go and buy what everyone else wants because the players will be like, hold on a minute, am I going to play every week when, when Mo Salah's in your team and Firmino's in mm. your team and you play that certain system where you know, I'm not quite the, the same type of player as Firmino, so am I going to play, am I going to fit into your system? So players around the world mm. will be thinking about that now a little bit more. And when you've got a team like Chelsea... Who are still, you know, third in the Premier League or whatever they are, they're they're gonna um, give you games every week. You, you are probably gonna go there at such a sort of crucial age for your development and to to prove yourself in the English league. So, it's mm. I think it's great business by Chelsea. This mm. Steve McNaughton, who's a Liverpool fan, said he felt that it was a real disappointing move from the club. This, um, and you know, he felt that the club should just take the hit and spend the forty nine million because, as you say, in today's market, that's a bit of a steal for a player who's scoring his goal, goals as regularly as Timo Werner is. Uh, and, and Chelsea's business model, we know how it works with the loan players. They made £10 million profit on Pasalic, a player who hasn't even made a single appearance for Chelsea. And they sold him on a permanent deal to Atalanta just a couple of days ago. You know, they signed him for £3 million six years ago and they've sold him for 13 They've made £10 million profit. So, you know, this is how Chelsea operate. That's their business model. So I think they are probably more likely to be able to reach that 49 million at this moment in time than perhaps Liverpool are because as we know in terms of selling players they've not been as profitable as Chelsea have been but how could the Blues look next season Adam because many people have been impressed with the way Frank Lampard's come in and tackled his first season as a Premier League manager we've seen the likes of Billy Gilmore, Mason Mount, Rhys James being given chances some of the younger players at Chelsea and that's also been you know balanced with experience the likes of Willian, uh, the likes of Olivier Giroud who have all got uh many games and goals under their belt so now with the addition of Werner um, and Giroud signed a new deal as well I mean how dangerous could that could that as Marley says that that front line look I think um, I think they're building a really good squad a young squad as well and that's um, that's what should excite Chelsea fans now um, this was a really strange transfer just on fra- on last Wednesday's pod me and Steve were talking about how certain we were he was going to Liverpool so that was strange, but there's a few sides to this before I speak about how how Chelsea might look. I think Liverpool's finances might not be quite as strong as you, you would have thought with, with regards to the transfer budget on the back of this whole crisis that's been going on. And it's something that we might see across the board where money that may have been put aside for these players may now not be available because of what's gone on. And that's something you need to look at. Liverpool getting knocked out of the Champions League early this season will affect their, their finances year on year because they won it last year, so the money they got from that compared to this season is going to be different. So there may have been that, but then Chelsea are doing what Chelsea do. And when they want a player, they'll just go and get the player. No nonsense. Go out, spend the money that they need to, done. I'll always remember when they got Hazard um, and they just trumped everyone with, we're going to pay you more than the rest. So their squad next season, you've got to add in Ziyech as well. He's now a Chelsea player. 
they're buying some incredible talent. So. And they did it even with uh, even with Torres because um, yeah. Roman Abramovich wanted a not a washed up Fernando Torres, but certainly a, a less effective Torres, and they signed him for fifty million in twenty twelve for a world record. You know, um, they yeah. signed David mm-hmm. Luiz back from from PSG for fifty million pounds when they wanted him back. You know, we know that Morata spent sixty odd million on him. So, like you say, they're not afraid to get the checkbook out. No, they'll just do it, and we might see the same with Chilwell. And that is a position that I think Chelsea needs to strengthen in. Marcus Alonso has had some some really good years behind him, but he's not the same player that he was. Um, Chilwell is very, very solid. Uh, he's been linked to City a lot. I still wouldn't be surprised if City try and swoop in. Uh, he's very reliable. He ticks a lot of boxes being young and English as well. You've got to remember that. But I think that Chelsea squad and kind of giving Lampard the ability to build a young team, it's going to do them well. I, I can't see them off the back of two maybe three signings challenging next season but if they can keep adding to this team and kind of working out what what's going to be best for them the central midfield is stacked with got Kante, Kovacic and Jorginho whether Jorginho stays or goes to Juve as, as has been mentioned then we'll see the the back the back four is looking quite good now as well you've you've got Tamori coming through and you've got Reese James who's well, been really exciting Gilmore to come in it's a decent side. You've still got Pulisic, who we've not seen much of. Yeah, he's still to come in, and then Ziyech. You've still got Tammy Abraham. It's it's an exciting squad. And um, as I said in the podcast last year, uh, without any kind of regret, Chelsea were really good as a neutral to kind of follow last year. Um, as some somebody who hasn't been excited by watching Chelsea play for years, really, uh, they went through a bit of a, a phase where they were quite boring to watch. They got the job done, but they were quite dull. They've been quite good to watch under Lampard. Very attacking, almost quite unpredictable. And adding a player like Werner, whose pace and his finishing, we've seen over the last few weeks just for Leipzig. So mm. really, really good signing. Uh, very astute business getting it done for that money where he, again, he, he could move on in two years for 100 mil. Mm. Mm. And it's going to look like deal of the century. So exactly. very surprising, but very good. And also as well, I think it's important that we kind of touch on what Marley said about the fact that Liverpool are the top dogs at the moment with a formidable front three. But in terms of squad depth, I'd rather have Tammy Abraham, yeah. Werner and Olivier Giroud than Origi as my only backup striker and like Rian Brewster or someone unproven from the academy. So I do think that Chelsea are trying to build something solid. And it's exciting to see how Frank Lampard might get on at Stamford Bridge in the next couple of seasons. I think there, Niall, as well. Um, Marley mentioned it well there about Liverpool's squad. Their front three is potentially the best in the world oh, it's, it's in the it's in the hat for the debate however their depth isn't isn't brilliant they've been quite lucky I think with Origi that he scored some ridiculous clutch goals for them out of nowhere yeah. just unexpectedly popped up and scored some goals what important times as well yeah what Liverpool haven't really had is one of that front three out for a prolonged period of time City this season Sane is yet to play a Premier League game all season there's only nine games left but City, what City did a couple of years ago was strengthen. When you're on top, you have to strengthen. We didn't do it last summer, and it's come at a detriment this year because Liverpool mm. have built that, and they'd strengthened, and we strengthened the year we got 100 points, and we managed to win the league again the next year. Liverpool now, whilst they're on top, especially in England, they need to strengthen that squad because if, if injury does come up, I'm not having that Shakiri as good a player as he is, and we talked about him being an option for other clubs, he is not going to come in and fill Mo Salah's boots for half a season if Salah's unfortunately injured. Neither is Origi or Brewster. It 
it's not the same as uh, even Chelsea now being able to have Abraham and Werner in rotation up front. City have got Jesus mm. and Aguero. United even have got Martial, Greenwood, Rashford. They, I think Liverpool do need to strengthen mm. at some mm. point. And uh, I wonder if they've, they've really missed a trick here with mm. Werner. Well, Spurs, they might need to strengthen too. And this is where our next piece of transfer news comes from. Uh, we know Jose Mourinho loves to spend a bit of cash. Um, but we also know that Daniel Levy, the... Uh, the chairman at Tottenham Hotspur can be quite stringent in terms of tightening the purse strings. He's also taken out a £175 million loan from a bank to help keep Tottenham Hotspur operational as best as possible throughout this period in which coronavirus has affected English football clubs. So if you did miss that, Tottenham have taken out a £175 million loan. But this is the bit of transfer news that I'm talking about, Marley. Ruben Neves is apparently wanted by Spurs. Now, he's been brilliant for Wolves, both in the Championship and in the Premier League. Wolves are obviously trying to build something there under Nuno Espirito Santo. But will some of those players who are legitimate Portuguese internationals and top quality players and probably good enough to play for Champions League clubs still going to see Wolves as a possible stepping stone to a bigger move? Uh, quite possibly. I mean, the end of this season, it's not, uh, it's not unfathomable that Wolves could be in the Champions League with, uh, with what happens to Man City if... if uh, fifth is good enough they're well in that battle with Man United and Sheffield United to finish in the top five so uh, they've still they've, there's clearly a, a very clear project at, uh, at Wolves and I think it is a a nice little stepping stone for people but they're trying to be more than a stepping stone they're trying to be you know a genuine force aren't they they're, they've been in the Europa League the last couple of years and they're doing pretty well in it as well so um, the players they've got are are better than than their level. You would say you, you would. I mean, Ruben Neves going to Wolves in the first place was a, a bit of a, a staggering one because he went from Porto to the Championship, which was strange considering all the all the teams that wanted him. I think Champions League teams wanted him when he left Porto. So to see him rock up, at, uh, you know, going away to Bristol City was uh, quite a quite a shock. But um, you know, he's, he's a quality player, Ruben Neves, and. Uh, I don't see him being at Wolves for, you know, a, a long, long time. Um, I think Wolves uh, have to spend a hell of a lot of money to, to go from being where they are now to being a regular Champions League team, um, which I'm assuming is the is the, the goal at, at Molyneux. So, um, for me, I can't see I can't see Spurs being a good move for him though. Like, if you look at where Spurs are now, there's such, there's such a lot of question marks over over what they're doing and where they're going at this very moment in time. I don't think it's a, a clear step up for Wolves. I mean, even if you look at the Premier League, uh, for Neves, sorry, even if you look at the Premier League table now, Wolves are above Spurs. Wolves are playing better football than Spurs. Wolves have a, a settled team where, you know, um, they've got flexibility. They can play different ways. They can do, they can spring an upset on anyone, on, the, on anyone in the league. I don't think Neves to Spurs is, is a massive step up right now it's just I just don't I don't see it and it would cost Spurs what 60 60 70 million something like that so I don't see Levy wanting to to shell out that kind of money when uh, when he doesn't need to Keezy what do you think Ruben Neves we know we know his quality but Marley doesn't think that Spurs is, is the yeah. right fit or the right move at this time for him I mean would you agree to- totally agree um, it feels like a sideward step I think you put it right in saying that 
the Wolves project is quite exciting. The team that they're building, the football that they, they play well, the manager, the young players that they've got, a lot of the, the young Portuguese lads as well. Um, I think at this moment in time, Spurs would need to get Champions League football for the Neves move to make sense because otherwise he's not actually stepping up much into anything. He's not being guaranteed Champions League football and he, he could still get that at Wolves and I think now is not the time for him to jump ship anyway. I'd like to see what a couple of years of that Wolves squad together could do. Same with Traore. I'd like to see them have another year next year just to see how far they can push it and that if if they are pushing it, that's when they start strengthening. I think on I think Levy taking out this loan, by the way, has gone under the radar quite a lot. I don't in especially in the circumstances that are going on at the moment. I think taking out a hundred and seventy five million pound loan, having been one of the clubs who decided to put the the staff on furlough and all the rest that went with that, and then being able to spend that money on transfers, like you. Again, we'll go back. We're going back to right to the start about financial fair play. What what's going on there? You can take out loans to make transfer signings now. It doesn't really add up to me. Um, and I don't think, especially now, I don't think that Levy's going to be one of spending seventy million quid on a central midfielder. So it's a it's a no from me. He's going to spend one hundred and seventy five million on the world's biggest banner you've ever seen, and he's going to put it in the middle of Hyde Park. I reckon. Yeah, that's, that's what he's going to do. <laughs> anyway, that's it for today's football social daily. Thanks for joining me, Marley. Thanks for joining me, Adam. Thank you. Thank you. Don't forget, we'll be back to a full time schedule here on the podcast from the seventeenth of June, which is the first day back of the Premier League season after hit after its suspension because of coronavirus. So seven days a week, we'll be bringing you a brand new podcast. Hit that subscribe button and you won't miss a single one. But until then, it's three podcasts a week. So keep your ears open, keep your eyes open and make sure you hit that subscribe button. But that's it for now. And we'll speak to you on the next show. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo.